This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we kick off our year of the sequel by looking at 1992's Tim Burton Returns. I, I mean, Batman Returns. Coming this summer. Oh, no. Disaster. It's in theaters now. That can only mean one thing. Doggone it, you're right. Mm -hmm. It looks like they've ordered a sequel. Oh. <laughs> now. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. The legend continues. What's it called? It's called, uh... Robocop 2. Uh... Clerks 2. It's called... The Invasion of the Podcast. Part 2. And that's when things got knocked into 12th gear. The year of the sequel. Too risky. Sequels are almost always disappointing. And welcome to Invasion the Podcast, year of the sequel, uh, something, something, I don't know. Uh, you always have like a tagline, like, you know, uh, Invasion Lives or something. Uh, my name's Paul, and uh, and somewhere out in a mechanical, me mechanized uh, rubber duck is Steve. Hello, everyone. I've got a rocket uh, strapped onto my back, and I'm ready to go. I, I still don't understand the plan there. We'll get into it when we get there. <laughs> so are you saying that you're a penguin as opposed to the penguin and a mechanized rubber duck? Correct. Okay, that's fine. You know, I, you know, if it come down to it, I'd probably just be like, you know, a penguin as well, and be like, what? Where, where are we going? Okay, cool. Oh, I've never been downtown before. That's what, oh, we're going back home now. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit here. Uh, so uh, I know Steve has some some films we want to talk that he watched over the weekend. I do want to tell people uh, that as as per what we've been doing the last couple of years here on the show. Aside from going on for hours and talking, uh, hope you guys enjoyed last last week's event series that we had. It was a three-hour episode. My God, I'm sorry. I don't even like listening to myself for that long. Uh, so, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Uh, this year is the year of the sequel. We'll get into more of like you know, why we kind of picked that in a minute. But the typical format for these is just we're talking about the movie. and like So no news, no games. Um, so... This should now only be a two and a half hour podcast, so that that's the expectation. So, so Steve, what did you get into this weekend? So, so I I have like four different things that I watched that I just wanted to make brief mentions of. Uh, first is uh, the Tom Hanks film News of the World. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the trailers for it. Uh, it takes place five years after the Civil War. Um, it's a very good film. Obviously, it's a Tom Hanks movie. Usually you're not like, boy, what a shit, what a piece of shit was that? But like, uh, it was a, it's a good movie. Uh, I don't know if I can clarify it as, or I can qualify it as a Western simply because I don't know what goes into what would you would typically say as a Western. Yes, there are gunfights. Yes, it's set in the West, uh, it's set in Texas. Um, it, it has some important things to say, I think, about, uh, the information that we get, uh, Tom Hanks, for those of you who, uh, haven't seen the trailer. His character is somebody who goes to towns and reads the news to people who can't read, essentially. Um, and there's some debate about what news should be read, and I'll leave it there. Uh, but uh, I gave it a four star on Letterboxd. Highly recommend it. Uh, I think the only thing that I can say is the same thing I always say about a Tom Hanks movie is, is it's a great movie. It's a great Tom Hanks role. I want to see Tom Hanks do something unexpected. But that's... <laughs> 
That's like, my only criticism. Like, were you expecting this to then be like, like halfway through, it takes a turn, he becomes like Clint Eastwood, where it's just him walking through a dusty town with like a Serapi on and like a minigun underneath, like, you know, and just. I'm, I'd have been okay with that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I I don't know how you, how to qualify it. Again, I can't say that it's a Western. I can't say that it's not a Western. But at the same time, I feel like, oh, boy, as much as I love Tom Hanks, he, he, he sort of has this role. It's like they're they're chosen because they're like, well, maybe this one can get him another Oscar. I that's yeah, how that's I fair. feel. But yeah, I mean, uh, I, who I, am I? I, I, I well, so I'll, I'll throw two things out there. One, I think you're um, struggling to quantify as a western. I don't like. I think the western genre and like all the like the different things that kind of fall into it is wide enough that that clearly is a western. It's just maybe not like a Western, like, like I've been trying, like the ones that I like chomp at the bit are the ones I want to bring you. Like, these are like cool because of this. Um, there isn't, there's a film, it's, it's Robert Redford, uh, Jeremiah Johnson. Uh, it's the, that's the one where you get the gif of the guy with the beard, like nodding, like you've seen the gif, like he, like, yeah, yeah. I, you didn't, so uh, that you, quick, yeah, sorry. You didn't realize this, that was Robert Redford, right? He looks a little chubby there. Uh, yeah, no, the only thing that I'd say about uh, Jeremiah Johnson was it was one of the films that, uh, for some reason, kept getting shown in school when I was a kid. Oh, okay. So and I think it. that may have actually hurt my, my uh, that may have actually also played into the fact that I don't really go looking for Westerns. Fair enough. That's that's valid. Um, so yeah, like I I loved Jeremiah Johnson when I watched it. I was not forced to watch it in school, so that there there's that. Um, I have an unhealthy hate of the Wizard of Oz because that was always the movie we they like. We're gonna watch a movie today. It's like it's the goddamn Wizard of Oz, isn't it? And it's like yep, it's the Wizard of Oz. And then the one time it wasn't, it was the Sound of Music. So I'm like, can we please watch Wizard of Oz? I'd rather do that. Um, but no, I, I, I've, been, I've been wanting to see News of the World. So not knowing knowing that that I know that you don't normally. Um, wander out that way and that kind of that those kind of films all the time and you liked it a lot that that speaks high of it yeah yeah i i think it's definitely worth the 20 bucks to run it so um the uh, second thing that i watched was uh king of staten island on uh it's now on hbo max uh the pete davidson film i don't know if you know very much about that but it, it's uh, based on his real life his, his dad dies in 9-11 uh, in his real life, the film doesn't go into that, but it's, he he uh, plays a character whose dad died when he was uh, very young uh, as a firefighter. Uh, it's got uh, uh, our favorite Mandalorian actor, Bill Burr, in it, uh, and it's a Judd Apatow film. I, I I can say that while I enjoy Judd Apatow films, I can say that the last few of his that I've seen didn't really hit home with me, but I really enjoyed this one. So mm-hmm. if you're a Judd Apatow fan or a Pete Davidson fan... Highly recommend it. I also gave, gave that four stars. Did I lose you? No, I'm listening. I just didn't wrap oh, okay. You know, like I, I got nothing else thrown there other than yeah, I know. Like that, I know that's a Judd Apatow film, and I know the last few he's been like he gets a little meandery with with his films. Like they feel like they go on a little too long. Not that I, not that I don't enjoy them. Like I really enjoyed Trainwreck, but that film did go on a bit long. See, I, I well, okay, I didn't realize he did Trainwreck. I thought he just produced it, but. Um, I, I did really enjoy Trainwreck, but, uh, for instance, Funny People is a movie that I wanted to love, but it just meandered so much. Um, going back to the, the movie itself, though, um, I've heard that criticism of this film. I didn't feel like it meandered too much. I thought that, uh, it hit all the right notes, and I, I thought that it was a, a great performance from Pete Davidson. Admittedly, he's probably playing a character very close to himself, but, um, I enjoy his style of comedy. I, I love it whenever he shows up on Weekend Update. 
Um, so, yeah, it, maybe it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but I, I dug it. Okay. So. Uh, two more things, trying to get through these rapid fire. Uh, uh, the third thing that I watched was a miniseries on the Night Stalker on Netflix. Um, it is very informative, but I will say that uh, if you're going into it blind, be aware that there are, are a lot of there's a lot of footage slash photos of the victims. Um, and it's for me, I, I, I could do without that stuff. Like you can show me the room as far as like, you know, Oh, this is the room that it happened in. And you cut out like where the victim was or the bed, or there's some pretty graphic photos in this. And, uh, while it is an informative documentary, I don't know that I'll revisit it again. And I've, I've seen like memes where people are like, Oh, if, if you know Night Stalker is too you know graphic for you, you know it, I don't know. It, basically, like oh, it should be graphic, and it's like yeah, I I, yes I think that no. there's a line. Yeah, I think I think if you if you you have one like one like you know this is the one that's going to like just haunt you for the whole thing. Fine, but if you keep going back to that well, that feels very much uh, exploitative as opposed to you know informative. Yeah, and I, I don't know that it feels exploitative, but it, it does feel like it's too much. Okay. Like maybe somebody didn't take them to the side and say, look, maybe we should take this out. Um, but I, I'll, I'll say that the interesting thing about it is, is you don't really learn much about the Night Stalker. It's all told from the police officers who were tracking him the whole time's perspective. So um, I, I don't know how I feel about that because I feel like with the Ted Bundy documentary, I feel like we got a little bit of insight into him, but we also had a ton of, you know, clips and interviews of him talking. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I can place that blame at the hands of the filmmaker or not, but look, it's, it's not a bad documentary. I'm not shitting on it, but I would just say that it's a little graphic for my taste. Gotcha. Says the guy who writes a book called the science slasher. Gotcha. Well, that's, I'm, I'm that's the thing. I'm joking. Like, no, that's, that, that goes to the whole like meme that I was talking about. Like, yeah. No, I think you I and like, I've had that conversation. It's like, you're writing, you're writing violence and it, like to, the, 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 these are characters that, you know, you're telling your story, but they're not real people. The, the, you know, like there's a difference there. Look, if Jason Voorhees was real and there was like footage of like, you know, bodies being torn up by him, I would not be cool with seeing that either. Yeah. But if I'm watching a movie and he takes a, a sleeping bag and bashes someone to death with it, I'm cool with it. So I don't know. Draw your own lines, people. <laughs> <laughs> and then Steve can color them. So yeah, there you go. So um, what's, and then yeah, last thing, the last thing, last thing I just wanted to make quick mention of was uh, back. Uh, I think it was two years ago. Now uh, we covered both seasons of the toys that made us. One of the episodes that I think both you and I were really uh, into was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode. Yeah. Um, if you remember correctly, that episode ends with them presenting uh, Eastman and Laird, the two creators, getting together for the first time in many years. And uh, over the weekend, I, I found a show on YouTube, it's a, it's a drink and draw show. As an artist, I like to watch people draw. I love process. Um, and it's comic book artist. It's Joe Quesada. For those of you who don't know who Joe Quesada is, he uh, was at one point EIC at uh, Marvel. I think he's got a position somewhere in like their entertainment division now. 
um, but he's a very famous comic book artist. Um, there's also um, Dave uh, Dave Johnson, who is a fantastic artist as well. I believe he did Super Patriot in the 90s and has done a ton of stuff since. Uh, and I, I won't go on all, naming all the artists, but long story short, they bring different artists in and they, they drink and they draw and it's all done over Skype and they do interviews. And um, Kevin Eastman, creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, was on the show and they were talking and somehow they got on the subject of the toys that made us. And he mentioned that like he was a fan of the show, uh, the first season of it, but when his his the when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode aired, he was disappointed because one, when they started his interview off with him on the first day, they got the uh, city that he lived in wrong. Hmm. And he pointed out to them that's not where I'm from. I know that's on Wikipedia. It's wrong. I've tried to get it changed. He's like, but for whatever reason, they won't allow me to change it. That's not where I'm from. Don't know where it is. Never been there. And then the episode started with giving the wrong place that he lives. Uh, and then he, uh, he pointed out the fact that like the ending was very curious to both him and Peter Laird because they're always in contact. He's like, I just talked to him last week, but they made it sound like we hadn't talked in years and that and i understand they're selling a narrative with the toys that made us but it just it disappointed me because i remember watching that and being like oh that that's so awesome that they got back together and they had always been in contact and we're still friends <laughs> wow that's manipulative yeah. so i just i wanted to make quick mention of that uh so round up uh go watch news of the world maybe watch uh king of staten island maybe watch Night Stalker and uh, don't trust toys that made us apparently. So, <laughs> I mean, now I'm calling the question like the, the Spock helmet, if that was even real, you know, like, well, um, I think that's real. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Fabricated that for the show. Yeah. But they'll be like, no, that was actually like the number one seller, but we just made it a joke that no, anyway. So, all right. That sounds like a, a wide array there of things that you got into over the weekend. So some good recommendations there. So, uh, yeah, uh, let's just uh, let's just get to our year of the sequel uh, discussion here. Before I get to the trailer for for Batman Returns, uh, and I, I was going to kind of like write this out, and I was lazy and didn't do it, so I'm just going to pitch it to you now. Going forward for this year, you you suggested this as an idea of like something to approach. Um, what was it about the idea that appealed to you? And then also, what do you look for? Like, I, you, I don't want you to judge each film of like, this is my idea of what a sequel is. However, if there's a sequel that you're going to, to want to watch, wh what, what brings you, um, to that? And what are your expectations for a sequel? Uh, so I have a pretty high bar for sequels. I mean, it's, and it's unfortunate, but every sequel I ever see, regardless of genre is just always going to get put up against the empire strikes back. It's, it's the movie that's like, Hey, you really like the first one. We're going to give you a better story in the second one. And we're going to like ratchet everything else up and give you a better version of the first movie. Like that's, that's essentially what empire is to me. And I don't, I, I don't mean that I hold it to like every movie that I watch, uh, you know, for, for God's sakes, you know, I, I can't, uh, you know, I can't throw Creepshow 2 up against The Empire Strikes Back, for God's sakes. But um, for me, uh, you know, I I think that it's it's tough to pull off a sequel because so much of it is trying to give people who like the first one what they loved about the first one, but do it in a, a different way. And 
the whole reason I wanted to explore sequels was is that uh, it, I, I don't know that I can honestly say that you know you you could definitely say that maybe there's a ratio of like thirty percent succeed and seventy percent of them fail. I don't know what that ratio is, but I think it is an interesting idea, particularly if you're coming to something that doesn't have a built-in idea for what a story is going to be. Um, meaning, like, well, the first one made money, so I guess we're making a second one, as opposed to, like, somebody who's like, I have this idea, and we have ideas for others, should this one be successful. Now, unfortunately, we're living in a world where everything's sequelized or franchised or however you want to look at it. Uh, but... I think I think it's interesting to see what sequels succeeded and what sequels, you know, didn't succeed. I was going to say fail, but uh, I'm like I don't want to be too harsh. I don't want to use the word fail on podcasts. Um, but that's what interests me is, is what works, what didn't, and what do we like about the sequels that we are going to get into this year? Whether and I, I think we've already talked about some movies. There are there's a couple that I know. Just personally, I think that we've talked about that aren't better than the original or aren't even the best in their series. But I, I like that idea of exploring that theme, that theme, not that theme, but that idea. Okay. I just, yeah. So uh, I, cause I've been trying to think about this too, about like, what do I expect in a sequel? And I guess like one of the things for me, because I know we always kind of like make a checklist or something at the end of these year of episodes. And I really don't know where to put this other than, you know, if you say, well, was it better than worse than the original? I think that's kind of like, that's not really a good pass fail. You know, like I think, like you said, so like the way you put it, it's not like, oh, well, it was as good as the original. More often than not, you're going to be like, no, because the original, whatever the film is, you know, it got enough, it got something right and sparked enough, like, you know, love and attention that it warranted a sequel, like in terms of money or whatever. I, get, I mean, maybe that's true. I know, like you talked about, like now with everything, like there's so much being built upon the next movie that it may already be in production and coming and they'll be like, Oh, by the way, that first one didn't make money. It's like too late. It's already coming, whether you like it or not. Um, so, so that does happen. But I think like, um, let me, let me, let me think here. Uh, you know, I know Marvel had initial plans of like the original four movies and the MCU to bring out the Avengers. I don't know if they had a plan necessarily in place to make like a second Iron Man film, until they saw like how well that first one did. Like, I think they were trying to put the, the stakes down for a tent pole. And then we're like, shit, this is actually, this is, this is overperforming. Let's get back in there. And of course they would have like all these different ideas, but I don't think that was automatically in the shoot ready to go. Um, while I do think now, anytime you see like the announcements, like Marvel's now talking about phase five. And so you see sequel slotted in already. You know, like, um, it, it, it's just, it's, you're, it's a different time we're living in. So I guess, uh, my expectation is, is kind of skewed as well because I, I, um, I'm, I'm kind of wandering all over the place, much like a sequel. When, when Patty Jenkins was asked about Wonder Woman 84, she's like, I didn't want to call it Wonder Woman 2 because it's not a direct sequel. She's like, I want to tell another Wonder Woman story. And this one happens to be set in 84. Um, and then, then they promptly fell on their keys and brought back, uh, you know, um, what's his name? Chris, uh, not the whatever Chris, the, Chris, you know, the, the Chris, Chris Pine, the, the, yeah, one of the five Chris's and it's like, oh, but that is kind of, anyway, so whatever. Um, 
I don't know. Like I think uh, like I think a sequel should put you on familiar ground with at least like the concept and if a character some characters carry over. Um, uh, yeah, I guess I guess it's a hard thing because you want to be familiar, but you don't want to be told the same things. But you want to already be on board for what's going to happen. But I guess that's kind of a nebulous way of how I would approach it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's 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 kind of grading on a curve in some ways. Uh, for instance, and I'm just pulling this one off the top of my head, but like say Beverly Hills Cop, I enjoy Beverly Hills Cop too. I don't know if I put it above or below the first one but i probably like them equally but they're also like 80s cop movies like it's a sliding scale you can't put it up against say like you know captain america the first uh avenger and then winter soldier like that's it's separated by both years and style and perception of how movies are made so yeah it'll be an interesting year to, to get into and look at what works and what doesn't yeah, so that's fair. So, um, and so I guess a lot of what we just talked about actually kind of feeds into to this film in particular, uh, which is uh, 1992's um, Batman Returns. Um, we're gonna we're gonna listen to we're gonna to Danny Elfman as hell score here and uh, uh, some really bad uh, wordplay. But yeah, we'll, we'll we'll we're gonna talk about some Batman Returns. Aren't isn't everybody super excited? I know Steve is. From the sewers of Gotham, a new villain emerges. You didn't invite me, so I crashed! From the rooftops of Gotham, the perfect enemy comes to life. save this city is a creature of the night. Hey, stud. I thought we had something together. We do. While she craves a romance she can sink her claws into. You're getting into a girl. He plots a foul reign of destruction. My dear penguins, thanks to Batman, the time has come to punish all of Gotham! Would you like? Would you describe a hero as looming over a city? That doesn't seem like a very heroic term. <laughs> 
lurching, yeah. maybe? <laughs> Skulking in the shadows. It's our savior. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 1992's uh, Batman Returns. Like So, and I don't know if this will be necessarily fair going for every sequel forward, but I think it's important to kind of state, because I know that you're a very large fan of the 89 Batman, the first one. And I don't know where it is in like your like favorite films of all time, but I know it's a very important one to you, and it was kind of like right place, right time for you, correct? But yeah, it, it's my my personal history with Batman '89 is is that uh, the year before is when I got into comics and sort of fell in love, and that first comic that I bought was a Batman comic, and uh, it, it's it's right place, right time. I think you hit it right on the nail. I know it's not a perfect movie. Um, but it's one of those things that I can see past its flaws. Whereas once we get into this, this is one that I have trouble seeing past its flaws. So, <laughs> so I, I guess I would also kind of say that it would be, um, to, to talk about it. Uh, so, so, so point of references to get into this, um, first, where do I have it here? I had, I thought I had this up here. Maybe did I lose it? Um, here, no, there, here they are. So, uh, we, I know we got a box office mojo, um, to talk about like, you know, what did well. So when this film came out in 92, it was actually the, the highest grossing film of the year. So Batman returns highest grossing film, uh, us wise for, for, you know, for the year, not overall toll, but for the year, 162 million, right? Uh, with uh, 89, uh, Batman was the number one film in 89. Uh, for for the year though, uh, two hundred fifty one million. So, um, like though Batman Returns was a financial success versus its budget, there is a distinct difference there. And like so, I think I think um, talking about expectation, um, you know, the original Batman was looming over this one. You know, so <laughs> so no matter no matter what this film was going to be. It, uh, it, it had incredible shoes to fill, right? Like it, it was like you, it was almost like, it was almost like a losing proposition from the start of like, you're not going to make one that's going to outpace the other one. Yeah. I, I think of it in terms of like, for instance, if you look at Star Trek, the motion picture and then Star Trek, the Wrath of Khan, Star Trek, Wrath of Khan had nothing to lose at that point. And it's clearly a better picture, but nobody was holding, you know, the motion picture over its head in, in the sense of like, you know, you got to, you know, pull this out and, you know, uh, you've got to succeed. And they do succeed, obviously, over that first one. But it's not it's not one of the biggest money makers of all time at that time. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think that that was certainly something that not only played into probably I think Tim Burton's headspace, but also probably the studios and everyone involved. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, Cause I know I made the joke at the beginning of the episode about this being a uh, Tim Burton returns. Cause this, ugh, this, this movie's Tim Burton is as, as AF as the kids like to say these days. Um, it's not, it's not like it's not peak Burton, but it is like, it's getting there. <laughs> you know, like it, he's on, he's on a, um, he's on a, a sewer, uh, ship sledding through heading like straight to Burton town on this thing. Um, but was it, do you think it was his, his vision and aesthetic and decision-making that made that first movie? Like it's, it's, it sticks in people's heads. Um, and I, you could probably tell me about like what really sticks out to you, but these two movies have a very distinct look to them. 
They do. Um, so here, here's the hot take for this film. Uh, I think it's a beautiful Tim Burton film. I don't think it's a good Batman film. I think that's the easiest way to, 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 to put it to, to words as far as, you know, my thoughts on it. But, uh, the first film has its Burtonisms. It has a lot of its Burtonisms. And, you know, if you hire Tim Burton, and again, at that point, his biggest hit had been Beetlejuice, which had come out the year previously in, before 89. You know, you're hiring him. You're, you're hiring Tim Burton because of the way he does things. You know, he, he wasn't the Tim Burton that we have now. Um, it's, it's, I don't think he would have gotten the remake Planet of the Apes had Batman 89 not been a huge hit. And that was 10 years later. We'll put it that way. Um, that said, I think that he had Sam Hamm contributing on the script way more than actually I, I dug into mm-hmm. some of the special features in the film and Sam Hamm uh, wrote two drafts, I believe of the first screenplay and they kind of threw out pretty much all of his stuff. And while I'm not going to sit here and, and just be like, Oh, Sam Hamm, what a great Batman writer. Cause honestly, I can't say that he was a guy who respected the character and where it came from. And that's not to say that Tim Burton didn't respect it. It's that he didn't have the attachment, I think, in the understanding of the character that other people did. And actually you could also say that it's not really Batman. That's a problem in this movie. It's that Tim Burton really loves the villains and we'll get there when we get there. But, um, I think from a writing standpoint and the fact that like you probably want Tim Burton back at that point. So the studio I'm sure was like, do whatever you want. We don't care. Do you want the penguin to be disgusting and hanging out in the sewers, eating fish? Great. (laughs) Like kids will love it. Uh, (laughs) no. So, um, did, did you want Catwoman being uh, BDSM? And at one point we have, uh, the penguin say, Oh, uh, what was it? Like he says something about like, what was the effect of, Oh, there's the pussy I was looking for. You're like, yep. You just got through that. Got through the movie. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, Burton. Um, so yeah, like I, I, you bring up a good point. Like we will get to that where, cause like Batman is kind of like as a design, even though they've updated the suit for these movies, you can't go and like, make like you know um i don't know goopy muck driven batman like you can like when he's like oh i can mess i can make villains ugly and weird you can't do that to batman like you're right that would right. be that'd be a, like a step too far um but yeah like i i would also when you when you say that his maybe he doesn't have the same you know uh reference for for batman i almost feel like that was probably a blessing for that first film because going into that what was like the presence of batman in cinema you know, and, and mainstream media, right? Like, I think he helped, um, like, set people, like, he, I think he, like, took some of the burden off of what people were thinking Batman was to that point. Oh, I, I absolutely think so. And actually, I mean, I, 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 I feel like we've talked about this on another episode, but, um, you know, there was a write-in campaign to get Michael Keaton not, not to be Batman. Like, there people, it was the internet before the internet. People were enraged that, you know, Michael Keaton, Mr. Mom, was going to be Batman. And you wouldn't have gotten Michael Keaton as Batman without Tim Burton. And it was a fantastic choice. And mm-hmm. uh, I think people, I mean, even myself, I was, you know, 13, 14 at the time. I was like, well, he doesn't look like Schwarzenegger because in the comics, you know, everybody, Superman, Batman, you know, if you pulled up an issue of X-Men, you got a shorter Schwarzenegger. It was still Schwarzenegger, but in a very <laughs> small body. Um, 
but like you know you had these characters you know they all had these amazing you know physiques no one was going to pull that off outside of Sylvester Stallone Dolph Lundgren or uh, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger Joe and I, I, no, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what they did get was they got a really great actor who and I'll, I'll say this for both movies, actually. One of the things that I love about Keaton's Batman is, is the way that he works with the suit in the suit. Like, he lets the suit do the work. And I know people are like, oh, I can't turn his head. But that turning around to look at stuff is so dramatic. It just works it, for me. He I'm doesn't like, make I'm it look awkward. Like, it's some, you're right. Like, the, the, he does, they do a good job of hiding that he can't turn his head. You know, yeah. like, um, so that does work. So, so uh, to summarize, I guess what, we're, what I'm saying is that Burton was a blessing coming in with his own kind of like, maybe he didn't have to hold everything in like such high regard and made his movie. And then it's like, yeah, but like it, it's, it, you're, you're going to, you know, maybe you know snap at me, but it's a little bit of the George Lucas thing of like, yeah, okay, great. You're pretty, okay, great. Is, did somebody tell you no yet? No. Oh, okay. Like, I feel like sometimes they just get a little too far on the weeds. And since because they had success before, people are just going to trust the system and they don't realize that there there's some shortfalls coming. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. And I, I think even with Batman Returns, you know, the big controversy that surrounded it with, you know, it being marketed to children and not being a children's film, I would I would make two arguments for that. The first one would be a... Batman 89 really isn't for children either. Oh, no, so, no. <laughs> you know, you can't really that that water that that doesn't really hold water in my my book. You know, like neither film was really a kid's film. But, um, you know, at the same time, they were so willing and like, you made us a lot of money. Please make us more. Lots of money. Um, we're going to ignore the things that probably shouldn't be in this film that's being marketed and I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, well, they shouldn't have Happy Meal toys. Like, I don't have kids. And I, I at that time, I was probably 15, 16, so I certainly didn't, you know, care. But uh, I, I will say that uh, they ignored some things just to get him back in the chair, I think. And we're like, this is great. You know, McDonald's is going to love the big rubby, rubber ducky. <laughs> oh, wait, there's, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, sex jokes and uh, the 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 penguin is literally like kidnapping children to murder them. Ooh, maybe not such a good idea. So yeah, with 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 a um with a train that has cages and yeah, like henchmen putting kids in cages. I was like, oh, that wasn't a good idea then. And I'm like, who that didn't age well at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> And they're yeah, all dressed up as clowns, which can I, can I just take a step back and say that like, I do you, like, that's the other thing with Burton. It's like, Hey, um, Hey, we got, you got this villain. It's like, yeah, who are their henchmen? I, oh, you know, just clowns. Like, it just felt like, <laughs> like, like after what Joker's gang was like broken up to, they're like, Oh shit. I just have this one costume. Oh, what's going on? What's going on? Oh man. Do we unionize? Are we doing something? Okay. Oh, look at that. That weird dude over there that looks like he's independently wealthy, though he doesn't know who his family is. Okay, let's go follow him around. I will say that I, I think that uh, it makes for an interesting opening scene. I like the idea that there's just like this circus of criminals that just shows up and Batman's got to take them down. I really do like that idea. Unfortunately, Batman then lights them on fire and, uh, you know, kills a lot of them, <laughs> which I'm not so good with. Uh, but... Uh, I do like that idea. Maybe had there been a little bit more 
variance to it, I guess. I, I don't know. Perhaps everybody who's going to work in that that uh, circus is probably going to look the same anyway. So, well, but my point but is that the, in the first film, you had Joker's henchmen, which they're a little bit more court gestury, I guess. But it, that's that's just that's that's slicing this hair real thin to be like, oh no no, that was a different thematic gang than this one. Yeah. No, I can't disagree with that. <laughs> like, that's all I'm saying is that maybe they're like, hey, you know, we're going to build new sets, but it's like, oh, shit, we have a pile of costumes. What was this gang supposed to be? They're clowns now. They're all clowns. That The Warner Brothers said, this is what we got to do. Like, okay, you know. Well, um, I mean, even if you look at, say, you know, whether it be Edward Scissorhands, like if you threw Edward Scissorhands into that gang, He'd fit right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, um, there's a design. I mean, he aesthetic. was. It was Catwoman. I'm joking. <laughs> just... There's a design aesthetic going on with Burton. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to think, uh, um, you know, some of the other, like the swirls, for instance. Like, he loves black and white swirls for some reason. You know, that's all over Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, um, um, that's that's fair. You're right, and then like there was a lot of that also in the first film too. But like, um, yeah, I just that also that kind of kind of got to me a little bit. Was like the it's like oh we're doing another circus gang, which I again I know it's splitting hairs, but um, the looks are cool. Like I liked all the looks of all of those that stuff. But it's like I guess also you couldn't just have like a bunch of henchmen running around tuxedos because that would look too classy and that would not be fun. It's like what? What do you got? Who are we go with? With the penguin? We're the wait staff. We're here to take all your stuff and bust your tables and rob you. Yeah, I, I think it would have been uh, you know hard to find henchmen, but at the same time, it fits into his. It, it does fit into his whole idea that like the penguin was raised as a circus freak, and I, I'm really not That's a fair. fan of that version yeah. of it. I love Danny DeVito. I think that he gives a great performance. Mm-hmm. But the it was like he couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that like the penguin was a guy who wasn't an actual penguin. Like he <laughs> Well, he's called Penguin. The Joker looked like a Joker. So the so penguin he's gotta have like oven mitts for hands and uh, you know, he's gotta eat fish and he's gotta be gross. And he has to um, go ah, ah, really like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Do you remember what Burgess Meredith did in the the sixty six series? I want you to do that just all the time. Yeah, yeah, and also you have uh, flipper hands, and yeah, and you're you're going to be uh, like Dan DeVito. I know you're you're you're, um, you're kind of aerodynamic already. We're going to make you even more aerodynamic and make you look like a potato. Okay, we got this. <laughs> potato. He looks like a potato. Looks like a potato. With, like, like I mean. Um, I, I, as much as like this, he's the Burton, the Burtonized version of this, right? With, I like the, I, the, the prosthetics, the makeup is phenomenal. And, and with the DeVito, you're right. His performance is so good in this. I mean, it's a it's the, the movie's a little lopsided at times, but he's always fun. He, he, but he, I mean, he's fun in like the mean way where it's like, he, he's a, like you, he gets this character. He gets what, what Burton wants out of this character. And, mm-hmm. um, I do like that. And DeVito's really good at that. And the same thing, like, um, I don't I don't think I dislike Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. I think is when she's actually Catwoman, I think that feels pretty good. It's just that I think some of the some of the Selena um you know, Selena Kyle stuff was um it was a little weird. But I also it's it's Burton Town. Yeah, I mean she got that that wishing stone and then she just grew more powerful and more powerful. Yeah. And yeah. then, uh, oh, wait. That's yeah, you, Wonder Woman that's funny 84. that you used uh, my argument for why I thought Wonder Woman 84 was okay. 
and just kind of fun. And you proved me that if you just fall through some tarps and some cats lick you, um, you become a cat person. And I had problems with that. You're right. I'm a hypocrite. I'm, I am a No, I'm a I, I actually wasn't. I'd forgotten that. It wasn't poking at you. It just, it just stuck in my head. Uh, I, let me ask you, though. On, on, Let's talk about the three main characters. Let's talk about Batman, Catwoman, and Penguin. So for for penguin let's let's well no we're on catwoman we'll, we'll stick with catwoman so do you have a definitive version of who you think catwoman is or is there either a comic or a cartoon or is michelle pfeiffer's you know catwoman the iconic catwoman for you, I, you or, know, or it, it, is it uh you know the the holly berry version it, yeah it's the holly berry version no um no, I, I, I like that you didn't mention was it Anne Hathaway's um, kind of Catwoman that wasn't really Catwoman, I, that, by the way, like this because whatever that was. Uh, but no, I don't like I guess this like, again, this is my um, my arm's length that I have with a lot of DC. Uh, like, I don't really have a preferred Catwoman. Like, of course, uh, was uh, Julie Newmar. Like, she's just, a, a, you know gorgeous so I, I liked her as cat moment for you know, various aesthetic, aesthetic reasons um was it julie newmar yeah it was julie newmar. Yeah, yeah well there are three cat yeah. women there was she, uh, she was newmar, one of them yeah. eartha kitt and lee Mother- merriweather yeah and they all wore the costume amazingly yeah and then uh in the arkham games uh in the second one arkham city there was um, the ability to play like there was a Catwoman campaign. So I didn't like that characterization. She was more of like, you know, the opportunistic thief. She was like, not, you know, not evil, but she always had her own angle. So she would help. And then, then you got the relationship between her and Batman. And I, and I thought that was good. Um, but that's, you know, I'm sure that's an amalgam of like other sources. So I don't really have a definitive Catwoman. Okay. I, I, I was just curious because, I can say visually, I will say that, you know, as far as the movies are concerned or other entertainment, you know, anything that's not the comics, I, I should say, it probably is the most iconic version of that character. Um, when uh, my wife and I were in California four or five years ago now, uh, we were in L.A., we, there was a um, Batman exhibit at Warner Brothers Studios, and we got to see all the Batmobiles and costumes and Great stuff. Maybe I'll post some of the photos on our page. Uh, I mean, they're old photos, but people may enjoy seeing them. But I remember there was the Catwoman costume, and it was in a glass case. And I was just incredibly like taken back by like how small the costume was. And I'm like, Michelle Pfeiffer must be really tiny. Like mm-hmm. this looks like it's for a child. Like, but it's also super tight on her the entire movie. And I imagine was probably not comfortable to walk around in. And um, that said, uh, I, I think visually it is still the most iconic version of that character that we've seen. Uh, maybe the animated series is probably the most iconic version of it to me. That's um, fair. I Adrian like that, yeah. Barbeau's version. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about that is, is that, um, when Batman, the animated series first ran the first three seasons of it, um, they had to model, uh, Catwoman closer to this version and the Penguin closer to this version, but they made an argument for Catwoman that they're like, oh, we can't have a character running around in a black costume in the show because all of our backgrounds are black. So they made the costume gray and then they made the Penguin closer to the Danny DeVito version. However, what's interesting is, is when they did the fourth season when they moved to the WB, they switched it around. They took away all the Danny DeVito-isms from the 
character and they put Selena Kyle in the black out- outfit. So hmm. um, I, th- I think that that's an interesting uh, look at like how iconic that look is um, something that they probably would have done in the first season. Had they, I think they realized that they could put that character against a black background and still make it work. But uh, I, I think it is the most iconic visually as far as the character itself. I don't know that we've really gotten the truest sense of who Catwoman is as a character in a film. Yeah. Um, you know, I, th- her origins, I'll admit, I, I've never been comfortable with the uh, Frank Miller version where she's a former prostitute. I, it's not that she can't be. It's just, it was something that sort of just felt like it came out of left field for me when I read it at the time. And I don't know that I ever just got on board with it. Um, but I could say like visually, I think Darwin cook, who is an artist who unfortunately has passed away now did a run on Catwoman in the early two thousands. And I think that that's, he did the one, he did the version where like, she's got goggles and the goggles are sort of cat eye shaped. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I think that I would like to see that, put on screen i think his version is probably the coolest version of it that we haven't seen yet okay so in terms of characterization though like i mean i don't i don't know if if she's given a i mean she's given enough i guess for the movie but um i I, so i i don't have a problem with her character i think some of the the, the, here I'll, I'll put it this way too like you said this is like a, a a interesting tim burton film but not a good batman film there it's like one of these the film to me watching this like this is the first time i've seen this film in ages it feels like you ever ever so often you're like there's like this really solid footing of like i'm in and then like two minutes later i'm immediately back out and um, cause there was times like for like the first hour, I was like, Oh, you know what? This isn't, you know, this is actually pretty fun. And then it's like, things started kind of slowly eroding and I'm like, Oh, here we go. You know? Um, so it just, I wonder if there was more for her, uh, much like the, I wonder if there was more for the penguin, but I'm sure at one point Warner's brothers is like, Hey, you know, Batman's supposed to be in this, right? And they're like, Oh shit. Yeah. We should probably show, uh, Michael Keaton eat, eating cold soup and t- doing like a spit take. That and also the fact that I mean we haven't even talked about Max Shrek. Yeah. Like, why is there a third villain in this movie? Like, I I don't understand that idea. I, I I'm not sure I understand how they got to that point in the process of the script writing, where they're like, you know what, both Catwoman and Penguin aren't strong enough to hold this story. We need a third villain. Well, an overall villain who's controlling both of them, basically. The third villain was supposed to be that was well. That a lot of that role was going to be Harvey Dent, and then when they when they weren't going to go with Harvey Dent and do two like create Two Face at the end because you can kind of see where it was going with how he went out. Um, like you you could have you know they whatever right that that was kind of where they're going with it. They're like, nope, we're just going to kind of bring in this. They made they made Shrek out of like uh, you know whole cloth. Um, but he was supposed to be Harvey Dent early in the in the writing process. See, have they have they said why that is? Like, I, I I've still never quite understood the fact that they're like, oh, you know what? We're going to switch from Billy D. Williams to Tommy Lee Jones. I understand that in 1995, when Batman Forever is made, that Tommy Lee Jones is hotter than uh, Billy D. Williams in, in Hollywood. But I I don't know that I've ever ever gotten a good explanation as to why they made that that decision do they say why he was just admitted completely from the script i i you know i, I didn't get it at all i did i mean i was just reading you know wikipedia and imdb they didn't get the specifics just uh 
it just stated that that in the earlier process that was supposed to be dent and and some of it, you know, some of it stayed in terms of like you know like. I don't know. I don't know what their characterization of Dent was going to be with that, but you're right. Like they're like, we talk about sequels, especially superhero movie sequels suffering from like the multiple villain problem. I don't know if this one is like the worst example of that. I don't think it is. And I think Shrek as a character is interesting. Uh, it's the hottest, uh, Christopher Walken's ever looked, you know, my God, like he, you know, pretty, pretty good looking know. dude there. I don't know who that actor is playing his son. Oh no, but, that guy's uh, that guy's that guy's like a just a, 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 a like a doofball. I don't even know who that guy is. Like they casted him perfect <laughs> to be like, you know, the entitled son, right? Like, you know. Dad, run! Yeah, d- go! <laughs> <laughs> Stop walking! Like it's just you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like everyone else. I enjoy Christopher Walken. I, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody be like, "Yeah, Christopher Walken really ruined that movie." No, he's usually great in everything that he's in. Um, well, there's so a can't... bit. Did you catch like, like whatever? So you get the big scene of him trading his life, you know, his, his son's life for his, and he gets into the rubber duck, and there's the penguins to the left of him, or to the right of him. And you got to watch briefly. You see Christopher Walken kind of like reach and like kind of reach his hand toward them and they keep snapping at his fingers. It's great. His reaction (laughs) is wonderful. I I did not notice that. I, I, I I don't know if this is, I think it's probably on like the Pulp Fiction DVD or something, but somewhere along the line, the, the fact that uh, when he gets a script, he takes out all the punctuation. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's just an amazing like factoid that he's like, yeah, I just take out the punctuation because I decide how I'm going to say it. I'm like, that's Christopher Walken. You know, you can only tell him what to do so much. So. Yeah. And honestly, like his his line delivery in this is not atypical of him. Like he he, he clearly he has a certain type of speech pattern because he's Christopher Walken, but it was not. He didn't have that. He he. I think he was like trying to play this character and not trying to put Christopher Walken into a character, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I probably shouldn't even bring it up because I couldn't make it through the movie, but, uh, around the time that Roger Moore died, uh, the first bond movie I saw was beauty to kill. Uh, and that was the first movie I saw in the theater. I should say bond film. I saw in the theater and I had very fond memories of it. And when Roger Moore passed, I, decided to sit down and try and watch it again and i i got like half hour in and i'm like ooh, this is not great <laughs> and uh he's the villain in that though so i'd be curious to if i could make it through that film sit down and compare like his villain in that versus max shrek in this because i i think you're right i do think that he's he's putting his all into it he's trying to make something out of it and i i think that one of the things and, and again maybe the movie doesn't need to be longer but there's one scene in between him and Bruce Wayne. And I feel like they're the two big, you know, capitalists slash, you know, they're, I'm trying to think of like billionaires and millionaires that I can put up against each other. They're Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, maybe at this point, like having a meeting, like maybe they should have had more interaction. That, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, so, okay. So then, uh, we, you know, cause we, you know, you wanted to talk about, uh, penguin and, and Batman as well. Um, was there anything else about penguin in particular? Cause if you're going to ask me my, my definitive penguin, I'm, again, I'm going to defer to like, I'm not sure. Um, because I have, obviously I like that they kind of split the difference in the animated series where they kind of gave him 
like a little bit of the 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 grotesque with like the mitten hands, but they also kept him with like the monocle and like the, the was it the cigarette, like the little whatever it is he like he has in his mouth and the top hat, where he still looked like a businessman, even though he was oddly shaped. At least I appreciate that they made him look like a human being that could be out in public, you know. Yeah, they actually took it further as far as like his character. I think that that is for me the definitive version of uh, of the penguin is the fourth season of the animated series where they strip back the visuals. They're like, he's just a well-dressed guy um, who happens to have a long nose and squawks. But uh, (laughs) they made him basically the owner of the Iceberg Lounge. He's a guy who essentially is sort of running the mafia in a lot of ways. They never say it specifically, but like he's got his fingers in a lot of different businesses and things like that. And he's trying to present a legitimate outlook while still being a criminal. And I don't want to go into the other, you know, Batman movies too much, but it's it's one of those things that I, I never understood about uh, Christopher Nolan is when he got to the third Batman movie, he seemed to really not knowing what to do with out the Joker, try and figure out a villain for the third film. And he's a guy who loves gangsters. I'm like, you have the penguin make him a gangster Get, um, oh, I just blanked his name. It has a face in my head, and um, he passed away five years ago. Uh, oh, I can't think of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, yeah, like, Oof. That, put, that's put a good him call. In a tuxedo and just make him like a gangster. Yeah, got the penguin. Well, because like, I mean, are you basing that off? Because, of, like, you, I know, I know you watched uh, the Mission Impossible films against your will, but like his, his villain in Mission Impossible 3, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I, you know. That would convince me that he would have been really awesome as the penguin. You know, that's probably where some of it's coming. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, I mean, he's great in that movie as a villain. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, oh, you know, Nolan is so interested in making everything realistic in real life. And I'm like, you have a perfect gangster villain that you can throw in the movie and you can just make him, you know, somebody who's pretending to be legitimate on the outside but it's really dirty. Like you, you could have totally done that. And I I won't go into that too much more, but Mm. I I just think that, uh, you know, as far as the penguins concerned, he is sort of, he, he's defined, but also a blank slate in that he's a little bit more malleable, I think, than the Joker. I do think it's interesting that we've not seen him in another movie since like of the Batman villains, you know, we've gotten, at least three interpretations now of the Joker. Uh, we've gotten three interpretations of Catwoman. Yeah. Um, we've gotten two versions of, of two face. And I would say that like, not that I'm ranking them, but I think in like exposure of like people knowing Batman villains, I think penguin might be higher than say uh, two face for a lot of people. Like they, they would know the penguin cause he's, he's the penguin for God's sakes. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think he's just got more name recognition. I, I think it's interesting that nobody seems to have done anything with that. Although I, I do believe that there's speculation that, or maybe it's been revealed that he's playing penguin in the movie, but, oh, yeah. um, What's his name? the Matt Reeves film. Yeah. Um, um, shoot. Um, yeah. Anyway, Colin Farrell, yeah. I think it's, yeah. Uh, so that, that would be interesting if that is, is the case, but he hasn't been touched, you know, in film for, well, this was 92. So almost 30 years. Yeah, that's fair. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, I guess you know, malleable is the right word to describe this because you know, if you're gonna, you know, and 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 the penguin is like the, the you could just see that it was pulled directly out of Burton's imagination in terms of he's like, yeah, he's a penguin, right? Like whatever, we're gonna have we're gonna have a peewee just throw him in the water and then he'll come back in thirty years, you know, whatever. Like and 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 he's gonna still be weirdly independently wealthy. And also, here's another question for you, Steve. Can you is it is it like is Gotham known for having just abandoned uh, like amusement parks and zoos and like anything fun? Like, like is there like was there like one World's Fair and they made all these parks that one year and they're like shit, we don't have money, so we're going to abandon all this and just leave it. Is like half of Gotham just like you know abandoned parks? I I, I will say that uh, I I believe that. Uh, it's I think it's in the dark night. They make the point of saying that, like, you know, Wayne Manor, where Bruce Wayne lives, is, you know, still within the city, the city limits. But it's like very outside what the actual city is. Um, I, I think that, you know, I, I, it's sometimes writers use Gotham too much in the sense of. Everything is always a shithole. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, because like you know? when we watched uh, uh, Mask of the Phantasm, I know it's animated, but that was like the World's Fair area, right, or whatever that was abandoned. You got the zoo here that was abandoned. I know you've not. Uh, did you watch Birds of Prey yet or no? I have not. Uh, it also has like an abandoned like amusement park and like pier section that is like crumbling. It's like, what is going on here? Like, there is just it, serious infrastructure problems. And you keep talking like, if Batman was to protect the city, how about he, you know, actually buy some property and like actually just invest in infrastructure? That feels like the better way to do things. And I, I think that uh, you know when Miller was writing Dark Knight in the eighties, I think he made essentially Gotham into new york city at that time and even though there is an abandoned amusement park that shows up in that that uh, book uh it's still just sort of this thing where gotham is sort of it's supposed to be such a shithole that you're like why would anybody live here <laughs> so do you think do you think maybe if batman's also like well if everything just crumbles and there would be nobody living here so there's no crime so mission accomplished i saved the city <laughs> Well, I think what's interesting is is that you know it, we've seen it to different degrees. Um, in Batman Begins, we see that, uh, and this is an idea that's carried forth from the comics that I like quite a bit. That sort of Gotham was falling apart while Bruce's parents were still alive, and they were sort of like the great hope for for Gotham City. Um, and maybe had they lived, Gotham City wouldn't have become what it did. But like. The fact that, and this is, again, an idea that I've, I've always liked about Batman, and I'm going to go against exactly what I just said about Batman Begins, because they do change it to the idea that Joe Chill is the killer, but, like, for a very long time, the the person who kills Batman's parents is supposedly never caught. And the idea that the two wealthiest people in Gotham, the, the socialites, the ones who are the upper crust are killed without there never being a conviction, never finding anyone who had committed the crime sort of catapults Gotham into becoming this anything goes type of city. In Batman begins, we sort of see that like the Waynes had an idea for the infrastructure for the, uh, is it the, it's, it's not a monorail, it's, but it's, it's essentially whatever, it's the, a monorail. The, the sky train yeah. or wherever it is. Yeah. 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 
that was supposed to bring money into the city and, and, and rejuvenate it and keep it going. And that fell apart after his parents were gone. Um, they fell for I, Phil I, Hartman's I, lies about the monorail. And they, you know. <laughs> I do like that idea of the, the death of the Waynes having such a large impact on the city that it, it teeters the city into falling way into an abyss. Okay. So much so that by the time Batman's 30, it's a hellhole. Okay, well, that's that fair. That said, yeah. there are, yeah, there's way too many abandoned music arts. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I, you know, I live like a stone's throw away from the Cleveland Metro Park Zoo, and it's like, if that became abandoned, like, that's like, and that's, this Cleveland, our zoo isn't that big compared to others. It'd be like, I don't know, like, if someone's like, hey, did you see that penguin guy just show up out of the sewers? And it's like, it's like, well, where do you think he's staying at? I'm like, I don't know. There's that abandoned amusement park that had, like, the big, like, penguin aquarium. I don't know. Where do you, where do you guys think we should check? I don't know. All the pizzas keep delivered there with anchovies. Like it doesn't add up, you know, like whatever. I mean, um, e- yeah. even the killing joke, which is my all time favorite story. I think of, of, of Batman or Joker, uh, involves a, you know, abandoned amusement park. <laughs> so oh. it's just, it's par for the course. I, there's a whole series of books that DC needs to write about the poor financial planning of amusement parks and their universe. Like there's this one guy going across the country, setting up amusement parks, getting that money and just leaving. And he just knows that he's just setting up future supervillain layers. That's the book, you know? Um, and he just leaves these circus gangs around too. That's, that's the book I want to read. Not really. That sounds boring as all get out. Um, but so, okay. That was, that was my question about his, his lair. Uh, um, we're going to talk about Batman and his 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 bit in this movie in a second because it's called Batman Returns. It's like oh, Bat. It should be like oh, Batman's here. That should be the name of the movie. Um, <laughs> I, it, it's just um, what do you think about the art aesthetic? I, I don't have the right words for it, but everything looks like it is like this industrial. Um, it's definitely something from like the like the thirties, forties. Like it, there's never been like a good definitive time of where this Gotham is set. And I know that clearly influences the animated series, which I think is, you know, to a benefit, but it's like, man, this just feels like you, you talk about like, you know, the city that had a hope. It's like the architecture and the, like all like the, the statues and like the square where they're lying in the tree that just feels like Atlas shrugged. And it's like, yeah, no, well, no wonder people can't find joy in the city. Everything is oppressive and or incredibly vertical. Our new writer for Batman is Ann Rand. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's independently himself. wealthy. He can take care of himself. You all should be Batman. You know, oh, okay. Uh, Batman I, Shrugs. I, that should have been the name of the movie. <laughs> I think it's it's interesting that... Uh, and it's something that I, that I actually... Uh, I, sh- I, should, I should say this real quick. The last time I watched this film was in the mid-90s, and when I watched it, I was, like, sick as a dog. It was one of those, like, on NBC tonight, you know? I was like, oh, Batman turns this on. I'm going to watch it while I sit here with a, uh, you know, bucket and try not to puke my my guts out. Um, So the last time that I watched it was literally, like, over 20 years ago. Um, That said, my partner on the Saturday Slasher, Ryan, had pointed out to me before I was watching it, or... Maybe it was after, but he was like, you know, he's like, one of the things that always bothered me about that movie is that you can tell everything's on a soundstage. Everything's a set. He's like, the first movie, they built this 
city. Like it's a real city that they built. Like it was, I don't know, six or seven blocks worth of a city that they built in England that was still standing. Actually, I think it was up until like 10 or 15 years ago was actually still up somewhere in England. Yeah. Pinewood Um, studios like uh, Axis chemicals was used in uh, aliens. That was the, the reactor. And Um, and it's like, yeah. and, And it's like, why wouldn't you use that? Like you've got this existing beautiful set that you've already established in the first movie. I don't know. I think again, that this was more of the like, well, this is what Tim wants. So this is what we're going to go with. I am torn on it because I love the idea that the movie set in snow. We don't see movies set in snow because it's hard. Every, every movie that's like set in either snow or, um, you know, dreary elements, you know, where it's raining all the time or whatever. It just complicates whatever they're shooting. It, mm-hmm. you gotta, you know, make sure that everything matches. And so I understand the logistics behind not doing it, but I was trying to think of comic book movies and I'm like, Iron Man three takes place at Christmas, but half of the movies in California, but yeah. we do get some scenes of him in the snow. Can you think of another like comic book movie where there's snow? I mean, Batman Begins. There's a lot of that uh, when he's like fighting, when he's going to the League of Shadows or whatever the beginning, right? Um, oh, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, and fair. then also, I mean, Batman and Robin, it's all ice. Kick some ice. Oh. Right? Oh, you're throwing Batman and Robin in my face. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even consider it. <laughs> we, um, when one of the villains literally does the thing you just asked about, I don't know. I just wanted to point that he out. He decides to kick some ice. Yes. <laughs> I wish you'd have been like, what killed the dinosaurs? Me! And just start shooting everything. That would have been better. Um, anyway. But but with that in mind, uh, like I, I, I'm torn because I do love seeing everything set in snow. I I, I want to see more of that. Um, I, I would love to see a Batman movie that's set in the snow. Was, again, um, you know, unless it's, yeah, I guess the other example is Superman, where he goes to the North Pole. Uh, because that's where the Fortress of Solitude is, but that's not really a setting. Because once you're inside, you're just yeah. I mean, but know. like even in the the trailer that we played, uh, the very end, it shows the the Batman logo uh, with snow, it's like sweeping across, and it's a very cool image, and I, yeah. I dig it. Um, but yeah, like that, I don't know. It's just the art, the art aesthetic. It's like it, this the, the, this film has its own look. I mean, it is, you know, it. I I don't dislike it. It's just that it's very distinct. So I just wanted your thoughts on that. But um, yeah, I'm torn. Yeah, I I like I I like the idea that it's in the snow. I'm not always crazy about the sets. Okay, fair enough. Um, So then, uh, yeah, let's talk about Batman in this because it's like you 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 say that one of the things that you get you get frustrated with with portrayals of Batman in movies is that he's supposed to be the world's greatest detective. What did he really figure out in this movie? Nothing. Uh, I, I mean, mean, like he, he figured out that Shrek was up to no good. Uh, Shrek was Shrekking around with that power plant. That wasn't really a power plant. So he knew that um, he, he was automatically suspicious of the penguin man that had goop running out of his face. And be like, that guy is a bad guy. And Alfred's like, good job, Batman. Here's some cold soup. You know, like, uh, I just want to pause for a quick second and just say that uh, uh, Michael go or it's golf. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but uh the actor playing Alfred, who was in a bunch of Hammer horror films in the 60s, and he had a large career of work, a large body of work uh, before him, before he ever became Alfred. Um, I am reminded how much of a joy he is in this movie. Yeah, he's fun. Um, he is fun in this. I love the fact that uh, 
he's constantly giving Batman shit. Like, it's not like sarcastic, like digs or anything like that. But he's always like just kind of pointing out the obvious to Batman, and I I, I do love that because uh, it happens in both the first one and this. Um, but I, I like that whenever uh, Bruce is like, "This is cold," he's like, "Yeah, it's Vichy Swan." He's like, "Oh," and he just goes back to eating the soup. <laughs> like I will say, that feels like a very Bruce Wayne moment of like, "Wait, this is not all. Oh, this is supposed to be what it is." Okay, I'm back to looking to computers. I thought that was kind of a funny moment. <laughs> yeah, and I I love you know Keaton's performance of, of Bruce Wayne. I still think that as far as the character of Bruce Wayne is is concerned, I think that he's still done the best job of that, um, at least in film and. Um, another moment that I love is, is when he's talking about secret identities and he's like, I don't know who's, who's the person who let Vicky wait or Vicky Vale into the bat cave. Like, uh, he's like, I'm just sitting down there and like suddenly, Hey Vicky, like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that interplay between the two of them. So I, yeah, I, I cause, yeah, cause he's like security. That. Like he's like, that's <laughs> like, <laughs> Like that was and, like the only the only nod towards like the first movie other than his conversation with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer on the couch, like that was about it. Which you know, um, that was when you asked about like like if, if the, with Warner Brothers saying we'll give Burton what he wants. Uh, one of the big things was like I he's like I don't want to do a direct sequel. He's like that's boring. He's like let's do something different. And he he got his wish, you know. Mm-hmm. So I will give this movie credit that. Also, too, the, this has to be one of the greatest Batman films of all time, and I'm, I'm putting an asterisk by this where I'm saying not really. It does not involve a single scene of a young Bruce Wayne seeing his family, his his parents killed. Thank goodness this is like the one movie that we didn't get that, and we didn't need it, and thank you. I'm so glad that it didn't happen, so thank you, movie. So I just want to make quick mention of this because I just think it's hilarious. I think it's a joke that you'll appreciate. Okay. Um there is a new show called Mr. Mary mayor starring Ted Danson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I believe possibly there's parks and rec people behind it who I think may have also been involved with, um, the previous, uh, uh, show, which the good place, yeah. the good place. Thank you. But long story short, there's a uh, Bobby Moynihan who was on Saturday Night live. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a scene where he's breaking the ice with, uh, Holly Hunter's character. It's a new show. It's only like four episodes. We we binged them over the weekend. Enjoyable. I would recommend watching it. But like one of the questions is, is if you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be? And his answer is Batman and Batman's parents, because I think Batman would appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) I just love the idea that they're like, if you could have dinner with anybody living or dead, who would it be? And he's like, Batman and Batman's parents. Because I That's, think he'd appreciate that. See, he's a good guy, you know. Like, yeah. you know. So, anyways, long story short, I just love that joke. It's actually in a, like an end credit scene, so oh, okay. you got to get to the end of the episode to get to it. But I enjoyed it. Uh, that said, I I lost where I was going to go. No, with we're this. talking about like this this being a sequel where Burton's like, I don't want to just make another of the same movie. And so, like, I like that like they, they didn't tether this so much to the first one. Like, I feel like if you have a passing knowledge of Batman, you could just watch this and there's no, there's no baggage you're bringing into it, which I think is, yeah. I think actually pretty effective. Vicky Vale. I mean, speaking strictly from a comics standpoint, I don't know that Vicky Vale has ever been as important as she was in the first movie. Like I, I, I honestly don't think she was, um, 
and maybe somebody who has read the comics more than I have can point out like, oh, Vicki Vale is a huge part to the comics here. She was never anything more than just a girl that Batman dates. Um, so I yeah. was I was OK with that. And it's it's one of those things, too, that I, I kind of prefer it to then. Um, and I mean, go to horror real quick. One of the things that bothers me is when a horror sequel comes out. And they don't know what to do with the person who survives. So they're like, well, we got to kill him in like the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like that's just a cheat. So like in, with this, at least, the, he, you know, he has a moment where he says like, you know, we just found out that we didn't work or something to that effect, you know, because um, she makes a joke. Catwoman makes a joke about like, oh, is she a flight attendant or I don't remember specifically the the phrasing, but he kind of just points out, he's like, yeah, we just figured out that we weren't right for each other or whatever. And I like that. It feels more honest. And for a movie that's already packed with three villains, you don't need another triangle with Vicki Vale, Catwoman and Batman. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, so yeah, I just, I think that I like that there's not a lot of strings coming into this. So I think that, I think that's good. Um, but yeah, so in terms of the original script idea that uh, you mentioned, what Sam Hamm, uh, I think his original script involved uh, both Catwoman and Penguin, and they were going to find like treasure or something. Which you know, sure, that sounds like a buddy, buddy, buddy film. And then she immediately buries it in the litter box, and Penguin's like, "Why'd you do that?" No, um, uh, <laughs> like, but then they brought in somebody else. I don't have the persons in front of me, but like this was like somebody that didn't really like do, like they didn't really do like Batman stuff or whatever. It was just somebody brought in to kind of look at the script. And they're like, they're like, oh yeah, but what if like Penguin, like what if he just kills the firstborn? of everybody in the city and, and Burton's like, yeah, you know, that's different enough. Let's just do that. It's like, Whoa, like that's a, uh, that went, that went from uh you know, to that went dark, like incredibly dark. And I like that. There's even that bit in the movie where the one, the one, uh, you know, gang members like, Hey, isn't that a bit much? And then, it, and then you see with the penguin actually being aware of the line that he's about to cross by shooting that guy and being like, yes, it is. It is. It is. It is dark. We're doing it. I, I wasn't expecting that. I will say that's a funny moment. It's a moment that makes me laugh whenever he's like, isn't this a little much? And he's like, yes, it is. You know, just he's, he's killed him, which you just previously described. Yeah. So I don't know why I described it, but uh, I do enjoy that moment. Actually, it, yeah, I mean, um, it shows that he's committed. Like he's all in. Yeah. Like, and, and like, I, how do you feel about um, the whole thing of him? Like, well, one, again, they never explained how he, like, yeah, he joined the circus, made some, he made some lifelong friends with some penguins or whatever, as you do. Um, they don't really explain, like, not that I needed like a detailed explanation of like, sir, uh, your most recent order is of all your custom umbrellas. Like, oh, thanks. You know, like, he just like, ah, oh, they got him right this time. You know, I, I don't need all that, but it's like, you seem to have a lot of things at your disposal and I don't understand how that's the case. That's all like there was a lot there where at least with Joker, it's like you he was already like pr previously he was established in like, you know, the underworld and you saw him take power. So then he had resource. You know, it's never really quite clear what Penguin has going in with Penguin, at least. I mean, again, this is one of the few things from the comics that, you know, Burton sort of embraced is that he's always had these trick umbrellas. So. That I'm okay with. Uh, there is this weird thing going on within the movie, though, where I would not go so far as to say it's meta, but like there's a Batman, uh, or I'm sorry, a Batmobile 
uh, a kitty ride. That it, yeah, it looks converts. like, yeah, whenever Penguin, they, they, whatever his gang takes over the Batmobile via remote, and they don't even explain how they understand how the Batmobile works, whatever. Um, that was another part of the script that got ditched where they actually broke into the Batcave and actually got, got the schematics that was supposed to be part of the script. That's why they have the blueprints earlier in the movie. Um, whatever. It's, it is what it is. Uh, he has basically what looks like one of those quarter machines you'd find outside the supermarket, right? That's what that looks like. But it's like the Batmobile, and he has like a screen on it. And, and as he's taking control of the car, you see, um, you know, Potato Man in the in the bat, the tiny Batmobile shaking back and forth. And I really like Devito's performance in that, though. That's really funny. But that felt like a bit much to me in terms of yeah, setting. If for as much as the first film. And I know people now view it as campy, but like it was not campy in 89 for as much as they were like, we're getting away from doing a campy Batman. We're doing a serious Batman. This movie also has Batman having a Batman branded CD player. Yeah, there's a Batmobile, uh, you know, like you said, um, uh, amusement ride, if you will, that that the Penguin sits in custom Um, custom built for one moment of a heist or something, a one moment of one night of crime. He had that custom built. So that brings up more questions. Right. And then also just for him and not for anybody else to see, I don't know, man, if you, if I had a race car bet, I'd want people to see it. <laughs> I don't know why it, it brought back. Uh, there's an episode of Simpsons where uh Milhouse's parents are getting divorced and, uh, Milhouse's dad invites Homer over to his new apartment, and he's like, I sleep in a racing bed. Where do you sleep? And he's like, I sleep in a big bed with my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That said, um, yeah, there's there's this weird thing where you're like, oh, this this movie is trying to be dark and serious. Oh, there's penguins with rockets attached to their backs. There's a coin-operated Batmobile. There's Batman... Uh, mixing it up. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, that too. That was one of those moments where I was like, <sighs> like, like them, them, ca- him capturing the audio of Penguin, like you know, basically laying out his whole plan and like telling telling the people of Gotham they suck, right? And then Batman, you know, uh, jamming the signal with Alfred, uh, you know, working the decks behind him, you know, DJ Alfred. Um, that I thought that was okay, but the whatever you, you see, uh, we see my Keaton reach down and do a little bit of record scratch. I'm like, movie, stop it, stop it. This is not, nope, you know. You that, know what? What might have been perfect was if he had a record scratch on hand in his audio files that uh, oh, he could have just cut to. You mean just? I, God, you mean like this? <laughs> and that's just that's just uh, you know Batman feeling good for messing up the <laughs> the penguins plan. Um, yeah. At which point Alfred starts dancing in the background. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like if you would have told me, "Hey, Paul, I know it's been years since you've seen it. Which one has the villain and a coin operator Batmobile taunting Batman?" I've been like, "That's one of the Jim Carrey ones, right?" Like that would that would have been. I'd have been like, "That's definitely Jim Carrey that did that." And they're like, "No, that's Danny DeVito." I'm like, "Oh, I forgot." Like, you know, that's, like that's that's the weird thing because I know we've talked about Batman Forever re- revisiting that as well and. I, I realize there. Are, if you're putting me up against, I pick Forever over Returns, but at the same time, I realize also that my arguments could immediately be thrown against. Why <laughs> I like one over the other. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, okay, uh, but so in terms of like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there was enough Batman in this movie. I, I'm normally I'm not the person where it's like you got to show the Batman, but man, there's just times where you forget he's in this movie. 
Yeah, I mean, if you see a movie called Batman, you want to see Batman in it. Um, he he's really, and I've heard Tim Tim Burton when I was doing research for this make arguments that he feels like it's the perfect amount of Batman in that movie. But like, he's sort of he's the third you know star to DeVito and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Like he's he's. More so than in the original Batman with Nicholson. I feel like he takes a far bigger backstage. That makes no sense. He takes a, a, a bigger step backwards, I think, in this film. Uh, like, he just pops up to remind you that he's still in the movie. Like, oh, hey, I'm Batman. And I'm, I'm, I've returned. Yeah, I mean, especially when the Penguin sets him up to look like he like stole the, I don't know, the, the girl lighting the lights. Uh, and then... Uh, you know, then that, that whole bit too, with, um, the penguin basically killing, uh, causing that girl to fall to her death, which by the way, hadn't seen this movie in years was surprised that they show a woman fall to her death in front of everybody around Christmas. You know, that yeah. was, that was dark. Um, right after, you know, um, that was right before the queen operated Batman ride. Um, and then, uh, then also like they released the bats and everybody's like terrified. And then all of a sudden Batman's like, you know what I got to do? I need to go in a hang glider above these people, be the looming champion and not make them more terrified thinking that I'm the, the one that did all this. Like it was, <laughs> it was a weird thought process of like, Oh, there's all these bats now and people are running in fear and there's a woman dead. I better glide down with my sweet ass glider. Yeah. There's, there's oh, I have so many thoughts. So a, there's the fact that the glider, like just doesn't look good. Like I know what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like it, but you realize that if he jumped off a building wearing that thing, he just immediately plummeted to his death. That's not how gliders work. He would just fall on top of the woman that was already dead. Right. And they'd be like, Oh, Batman killed that woman twice. Like, Oh no. Two. There's this weird, like, um, uh, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like Tim Raimi wa- or Tim Raimi, Tim Burton watched a Sam Raimi film and was like, hey, do we have something we can do with like a first person thing? And they're like, hey, how about Batman throws a mechanized batarang that flies around and hits a bunch of guys? Like, I don't know. It's it's like he watched the the Evil Dead movies and he's like, we got to do something in first person. Um, and then, you know, for the kids. No, yeah, for the kids. But like his 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 gadgets are cool in the first one. They're not so cool in this movie. I think that's a problem. And, you know, we, we talked about The Mask of the Phantasm. We won't go into how much both of us love that movie. But, like, there's a scene in that film where Batman is framed for something. It's not even that he's framed. It's that the police believe he did something. And there's an amazing chase scene that tops this movie. Like, mm-hmm. why couldn't they have done, like, a great scene of Batman trying to get away from the police. Well, they did. They showed, they showed his Batmobile gets like skinnier and it fits perfectly in between the two buildings, which by the way, that amount like car crash crashing though was crazy. Cause that was all practical. So all this car smashing things was amazing in terms of just seeing it. But yeah, the Batmobile, it loses like two thirds of its body shape and it's like, all right, now I'm out. And then, like, you know, if you notice like when it was like super thin still before the wheels pop back out or you assumed it was going to, that thing was a little wobbly after the thread of the needle. It was like, it was pretty close to tipping over and being like a roller skate. You know, you're like, Oh, that's not very effective. Batman. Yeah, and at the beginning of the film, why does Batman have a giant, like, I, I don't even understand how this is supposed to work. It's like a kickstand that comes out of the bottom of the, the Batmobile. Oh, the side flaps. The, the, yeah, yeah, all the, yeah to, that too. I mean, I, I can't remember if that's right before or right after he lights a man on fire. 
Yeah. Well, okay. Let's get to that too. So there's the man, the, 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 you know, the man on fire. And then there's also the bit that you, we, you talked to me about last week about, uh, him, uh, openly taking the bomb and stuffing it into the clown's pants and then kicking the clown into the hole with a small smirk as a man detonates underneath him. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I realize that you can point out that like Batman kicks a guy off of a tower in the first Batman. Totally get it. I, I can, Absolutely, that criticism can be thrown against me. But he literally th- puts a bomb on a guy and kicks him down a well. Like, yeah. that's so far from who Batman is. Like, he would take the bomb off of him, like, throw it down the well, and then punch that dude so hard that, like, you know, maybe his jaw's broken and he falls over. And maybe you're like, well, that not that darker? I don't think so. But, like, he doesn't willingly just let people die. Like, or cause their death. Either way, you want to look at it. Like, that's... That's what's supposed to separate him from the bad guys. Is that even... He still values life in that line. And in this movie, there's not much of one. You know? It's like, oh, okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, At least... I don't... As I say, at least in the Arrow TV series, they started kind of uh, rectifying that because uh, Oliver was killing people when he first returned to the city. And then after a while, like, you know, they, they just like everyone's like, you you know, if you're trying to be the symbol for, for you know, Starling City, you need to not do this. And so he starts taking on the mantle of like not killing going forward. And it becomes becomes a burden away because he has to he has to approach how he's going to address things now, because, you know, it's easier to win a fight when everyone's dead. You know, like, so <laughs> at least they, at least they kind of, they, they, they moved into that where he became more of the hero as opposed to the vigilante. And I'm not saying that this movie needs to do this, but it was always kind of from the get go that Batman doesn't want to kill people because people killed his parents, you know? And and I should also point out there are, there are some great scenes in this movie as well. Like, I feel like I've spent the last, you know, hour shitting on the movie, but like, I really love it again. It, it, it makes no sense because it's like telegraphing who Batman is. But at the beginning of the movie, when the bat signal goes out, Batman's just like sitting in his library as you do. You know, if you live in a mansion, you've got to have a giant library where you just ponder things. But like the lights kick on and a gigantic light, uh, bat signal full, uh, like hits the wall and he stands up out of the chair. That's an amazing shot. I love that shot. It's a good so shot. So much. Um, and I also love that, like, later on when he gets to the Batcave, he gets to the wall and there's a, a casket or whatever. It's like an Iron Maiden. He, yeah, that's yeah. spiky. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, he opens it up and he has another nice little exchange with Alfred where, you know, he's like, uh, you coming with me? And he's like, I'll, I'll take the stairs. Which um, I want to point out, by the way, when you see the next shot of him entering the happy, like, exiting the happy fun slide, Alfred's like two <laughs> steps behind on the stairs. <laughs> So, like, so Alfred got there just in the same pretty, amount of time. So I don't know the point of that. Then <laughs> that's that's a fair point that I never picked <laughs> up on. But yeah, I can't argue with that. Uh, I, mean, that I wish there's a lead scene where you just see like you see uh, what Michael Gow like walk off scene, and then somebody that you can't see his face is dressed up like Alfred, just <laughs> running like hell through the mansion. <laughs> Just, just to get down there, just to be like, see, you don't need that slide. You know, like, it, that would have been it, amazing. It reminds me of that scene in Spaceballs where uh, President Scrooge is going to, you know, uh, teleport to the next location. And uh, we find out that he's literally the left in the next room yeah. that he was <laughs> going to. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to say is, is it's a non-lethal 
interaction that Batman actually has with one of the killer clowns is when Selena Kyle's actually been taken hostage. Uh, he shoots the wall and uh, with with the uh, grappling gun and then just rips a piece of the wall out and like knocks the guy out cold. I do love that moment because I'm like, oh, it's very Batman. Like he's just staring the guy in the face. He shot it past him and he just pulls the wall out and, and, and uh, knocks him unconscious. I do like that moment. Unfortunately, the rest of the movie doesn't leave a lot more Batman moments for me to love. That's fair. So, okay. Um, uh, the, just to, I want to ask you this real quickly and then we'll get to the, the penguin, the penguin plan. Uh, Cause I have questions about that. Um, how do you, how do you feel about the chemistry between Michael Keaton and um, Michelle Pfeiffer and also the chemistry between Batman and, and Catwoman and the, just in the film, like the way those characters play off each other? I, I do actually think they have great chemistry and I don't know if I made this up or I read it somewhere, but <laughs> I thought they were actually a, a couple at one point or had dated and had known each other. Um, and it may just be extrapolated from, I know there's an interview where Michael Keaton was like, you know, I wanted to work with her, but I remember like thinking, do I warn her about how hard this is going to be or what acting in a suit is like, like, I, I, and I can't remember if I just made that up or if it's something that I actually saw. Um, but I, I think that they'd had some sort of previous relationship. Maybe they worked together on something else or whatever, but, um, I think that they actually have pretty good chemistry and it's unfortunate that like literally their entire romance is, is built into three scenes. Mm -hmm. There's the scene where she's uh, not dead and surprises Shrek and she's serving coffee to hit to Shrek and Bruce Wayne. I, by the way, that's what I want people to think, please. Anytime we say the name Shrek, I know it. I know it's a Christopher Walken, but just think of Shrek, the ogre. Cause that's way funnier. If you think about that, okay, continue. Yeah, uh, uh, both Shrek the Ogre and Max Shrek are like onions. They both have layers. Um, but Fair enough. And both are incredibly sexy for different reasons. So, yeah. There's the scene where she, she comes to Wayne Manor for a date with Bruce Wayne, and they're in front of the fireplace, and it's romantic or whatever. And then there's the scene at the dance, uh, the the big ball or whatever. Um. I, I I honestly I think that like you could have taken either Penguin or Max Shrek out of it and built more into Batman's relationship with Catwoman because that's that's the fascinating thing is that you know he's attracted to this woman that he should not be because she's a criminal. You could have played with that so much. Yeah, I mean at least their chemistry like it works pretty well. And you mentioned the ball the ball scene whenever she you know she shows him that she's like you know she has a gun she's going to kill Shrek. Um, and donkey too. No. Uh, and then, um, <laughs> and then he was like, you don't have to do this. Basically, you know, he's like, you know, again, it's one of those, well, it's one of those Bruce Wayne, Batman decisions of like, you know, like basically like the, you, you don't cross that line. We can, we can do this differently. And so it's, it's again, the, what, what sinks that for me though, is what you're talking about. How, since, you know, Batman normally is the guy who's going to like find ways to to win without taking human life without crossing those lines that would have been more impactful in this film if we would have saw him doing that when he's trying to tell her like you should shoot him he should have been like you know time time's not it's not right now i have a bunch of circus dynamite outside we're going to go stuff in his pants kick him down a hole that's how you get justice <laughs> Have you tried lighting him on fire? Yeah. You know, like, it's, have you tried shooting him with, like, a large machine gun on your jet, on your bat, bat plane? 
because that that is if you're using an actual vehicle, it's not murder then. So no. Right. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, and yeah. I'll, I'll say that actually, it's unfortunate too. As like Batwoman, as as Batman and Catwoman, they only share like one fight scene, and it's actually pretty good when they're on the, the rooftop fighting. Um, although it does make me wonder that, like in the first Batman movie, we saw him take bullets to the chest and come out fine, but one of her little like you know sewing needle slash altered cat things is able to cut through his suit. So. Yeah, that's weird. And then at the end, he gets shot too by Shrek, and is okay, you know. Yeah. Um, but but he also they also did the big thing with superhero movies where it's like, oh, we know this guy in the suit. He got he has to take his mask off. It's like, but it's like you're you're under the assumption that Shrek is going to live. Shrek knows who you are now, you know. Like <laughs> yeah. like if you're going to save him, he's going to have a story to tell the world, and that's going to complicate things even more, you know. And I know that I've gone off topic a lot this evening, but it reminds me of uh, many, many years ago when uh, Brian Bendis decided to do an entire storyline about uh, Daredevil's uh, secret identity, Matt Murdock, being released into the public. And he's like, he's like, I don't know how many Daredevil comics I read where like Daredevil just showed people like, you know, he see a pretty girl and he'd tell her who he was. And he's like, that's got to come back and bite him on the ass at some point. And uh, I kind of feel that with this, where I'm like, why does he rip his mask off, and why is it such a weird way that the mask comes off? Like it, it looks like it would have just taken been taken off by like a harsh wind. I feel like whenever she like licked his nose, his his um, cow would have come off with that, you know, like it would have lifted it and just ripped it all off. Uh, I just feel like you know, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just knew that that'd be the night that he needed the easy rip off head Batman suit, you know. Um, but like, you know, like those breakaway pants, you know, like you just bust them out and suddenly, you know, you're ready to dance. Maybe that's what he was doing. I don't know. Uh, so the penguins plan was one, we didn't even talk about the running for mayor. Like I just, I get that. I like having the the villain use, um, the obvious means like we talked about him being a gangster and being a man of influence in the comics and that him being out in the, it's like, it's the notion of like, you know, he's doing bad, but he's playing by the rules supposedly. So you can't touch him. They don't really get into that a whole lot with this, but that's the idea. But then, so that falls apart quickly. Um, and then, you know, he then decides that he's going to go to plan B, which is uh, take all the, the firstborn sons and then kill them. And then, and then the moment it's like, oh, Batman stopped that. And all the kids in cages are freed and all that. And he's like, all right, time for plan C, which is, hey, penguins, you know how I had you all already strapped with like rockets and goggles? We're going to have these animals that are mainly known for being swimmers walk awkwardly into the center of Gotham, coordinated so, and launch all these rockets and kill like 100,000 people. What? Yeah, I don't know what his plan was. Like, I, it still doesn't make sense to me. And it's also, there's this weird thing, and I, I don't think it's so much a thing anymore, but I feel like at this time period with movies particularly maybe maybe even based off of the fact that Jack Nicholson dies in the first one. Like, I feel like it's written into their contracts where it's like, well, the villain has to die too. Like, you know, like Penguin didn't get, wasn't kept around for, you know, a possible Batman three or, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's the way I'm perceiving it because I guess, you know, to be fair, uh, you know, Lex Luthor slash, um, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name right Gene now. Um, yes, Gene Hackman is, you know, he he's in f- three of the Superman movies. Um, 
but it is a weird sort of stipulation where it just feels like, oh, this villain's only available for one movie, so he has to die. And I understand that you can also make the argument that, well, Catwoman lives, but that scene's added at the end of the film where she pops up in the very last frame. That was something that was a late addition to the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't... I don't understand... I don't know that... And again, I, I hate to level all of this at Tim Burton because he's... He's an amazingly talented guy, and I, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I think that he's – this is a beautiful Tim Burton movie. It's not a great Batman movie, and but I don't know that he could really tell you what his plan was at the end. Like it was just that we've, we've got to up the stakes. We've got to have some sort of peril, and I know that it's a common joke now where there's not a blue light in the sky, but like you know, that's become the common thing where there's got to have some other stakes that are happening that Batman has to stop. Well, I mean, the destruction of the city, right? I guess, but it's like, but the, I know they said a hundred thousand people are going to die, which I mean, that like, again, that's a lot. And then, but that Zack Snyder would be like, hold my beer, you know, but uh, <laughs> I think, I think with this though, it's like, what are you, you're just going to have them all like, it's like, you see, you have these rockets. It's like, wouldn't it have like, just would it have made more sense aside from the fact of like, you get the least mobile bird that doesn't fly to walk places. Fine. Whatever. Um, wouldn't you have the more spread out so the ordinance ordinance is coming from all over the place? So how so so then the the threat is for Batman to be like I can't stop all these guys I have to get to the source as opposed to oh no Alfred and I we're going to be the Penguin Whisperers and be like no no lady let's just go back let's okay guys come on let's just go back to the, the zoo you know you got the fish for everybody and then and then he's just going to be like okay light up the zoo it's abandoned you know like I'm going to buy this property later and reform it now that you guys have destroyed it you know because I'm Batman. It just, it felt like, it, it felt very, um, like very much like a letdown because it's like, you see all these penguins all dressed up. And if, if people want to read some fun stuff, go look at the trivia the, like to be a penguin on that set sounded like heaven. They did everything in their power to pamper the penguins. Like it, it sounded like it would have been a delight and they got so much fish and so much love. Like that would have been the best place to be in that whole thing was to be a penguin. Um, but I just, man, like it just, none of it. It never seemed threatening. It's like all oh, these guys can waddle and they have helmets. Couldn't we just kind of kick them? Like, wouldn't that like? Could we just like could, one bowling ball could have solved the whole problem? <laughs> That's fair. I I, <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. And I'm trying to come up with something clever to come up with a response. I mean, it feels like, very yeah, comic it's... booky, but I think at least in a comic book, you since you like, such budget isn't a, like a problem. You could have done like you could have actually made that more. Like you talk about this film, like, you know, you said that the campiness of the, well, the first one's not viewed as campy and this one was, you know, there is some campiness. Like that feels like an Adam West plot there, right? We're going to strap rockets to penguins and send them out and he's going to, he's going to bust out his, uh, penguin repellent spray and save the day. Um, it just, it visually, it's kind of fun and the, the Danny Elfman scores fun. Um, cause I just like seeing real penguins all walking in a line cause they're, you know, being herded that way and they're all wearing very comfortable helmets and rockets cause they made sure of that. Um, I wish the care and thought that they put into caring for the penguins would have also that same amount of effort and care would have been put into patching the script up. Uh, uh yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I still, you know, I, I struggle with the idea of like, well, is it dumb enough that it could appear in a comic? Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I, I don't mean to make it sound like I'm putting comic 
books down either when I say that, but I just, Batman is a character. He's been around for 80 years. And at this point he'd been around for at least 50, <laughs> the, you throw a rock and you probably could have hit a dumber presence or a, <laughs> a, a, a dumber idea in, in a Batman comic than this. So I do struggle with that. I, I still don't know that it works. Um, at least with, you know, at least with the ending of Batman 89, the Joker's idea was, is that he was like, I'm just going to murder a bunch of people. And then I'm going to fight Batman like that. That's literally all he had in, in mind. Yeah. Like I, I, that at least makes sense to me. This doesn't so much. That's fair. So, all right. Um, I think I think we're getting to the point where we should uh, so, should wrap this up. We, we don't need to get all the sexual window windows in this. It was like painful at times, especially between you and I. Yeah. No. I mean, the, well, I mean, we've been. You know, that's always that's a, that's just a burning simmer, and you know, we just got to let that that forbidden love not ever be brought to surface. But uh, no, um, I'm just saying a lot of like the penguin, it's like not only did they make him kind of animalistic, um, he like, I think whenever they do the Harvey Weinstein movie, they might just bring in the penguin to play. him. You know, like it's pretty, pretty there, you know, like, so I, God, I, I hate taking us off of track, but are you, are you familiar with uh, Jeff Garland? Yes. At all. Yes. Okay. The first episode of the latest season, and it's, it debuted last year, of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Jeff Garland like grew like a little bit of a beard, and like he's walking around, and he oh, looks no. just like Harvey. Oh, no. And the entire episode is like women just yelling at him, like, <laughs> "I can't believe you're out walking around." That's funny. And like he keeps having to explain to people that he's not Harvey Weinstein. That's funny. It's amazing. It has nothing to do with this. I just want to say that if you guys have not watched uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, highly recommend it. Nice. So, so okay. Uh, so I guess this is where we get to the point of like, I, I mean, you know, as a sequel, you know, did it uh, did it deliver? I know you're going to that you've said repeatedly that it, not not based upon what the promise of Batman was. Batman Returns does, does not really build upon that. Would you Would you agree with that? I would agree with that, and okay. I, I think that you know, again. My arguments in some cases are pretty thin, um, but that's what we all I, I would never begrudge somebody who likes the movie. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those ones. It's like, uh, you know, it, it not to not to get this, you know, to, to compare it to the same thing, because it really isn't. I know you were a little underwhelmed with the Wonder Woman 84. I thought it was OK, but I see a lot of the same pitfalls these films have in common. And it's weird that because they're, they're different films and they have different vibes, but there's this uh, notion of like, oh, you got some stuff right. Oh, I wish you would have added a little bit here and there. And also like maybe a little bit more thinking about the resolution. Like I feel like there's there's very similar tracks that run through both these films. And also a wingsuit that doesn't do much in both. That's the, that's fair. And I think you'd also make the argument that uh, where, where Burton with this was like, I don't want to have to like make the same movie and I don't want to deal with details from the first movie. I want to do something new. You know, unfortunately, One Roman 84 saddled itself with bringing back a character from the first movie that was almost impossible to bring back. Yeah. So I, I guess I could respect, like, the idea to try to do something different. I'm never, I'm never, I'm not, like, I think that's fun. I think not just giving me the same thing over and over again, um, you know, that gets old and stale. Um, but, like, I think, you know, I, I appreciate the idea. Uh, there's stuff in this film I, 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 you know, I do appreciate like the brief bit of whenever um, the penguin first unveils his helicopter uh, umbrella 
is fun where he's like, got to fly. And I'm like, that's goofy as all hell, but I like it. Um, again, doesn't explain how he has all these trick umbrellas, but which also pays off in one of the better, like at the very end, you know, when he reaches in the barrel to try to kill Batman, that was actually a funny mm-hmm. moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is not the train wreck of a film. Like I remember it being in terms of like the backlash against it, but I don't think that it's, it's aged terribly well, but there it's not, it, it, it's, it's not like, it's not like an incomplete mess. It's just, it, it tries to be different and it does succeed, but being different isn't the same thing as hitting your mark with the film you're making. So you could be different and still miss by a fair margin. So I think that's where this film is for me. Yeah. I, 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 uh, well, this isn't my favorite. I will say that, uh, it is far from Batman and Robin, which if we're, if we're looking at all of the Batman films that have been released, uh, and I guess I'm including Superman V Batman in there. Um, you know, Batman and Robin is the, it's the, the, the absolute bottom. I, yes. I, I don't know if we reviewed that film, if I could talk about it to the length that we have this film. Like we talked about this being a shorter episode. We're almost at two hours. So there's at least enough here for us to talk about. Um, I, I have an appreciation for it that I don't think I did before. I think that it is a beautiful Tim Burton movie. Third time. I probably said that tonight. I just don't know. That it's a good Batman movie. Fair enough. We'll leave it yeah. at that. So I, I think that, I think that's fair. Uh, everybody, you guys could, everybody, you guys, all, all of you people, all you penguins out there, all you penguin fans, uh, you guys can let us know how, how you feel about this film. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, um, invasion, of the podcast. Um, you guys can find us on invasion, the podcast.com with a shiny new blog post that I've added. So I blew the dust off the blog. It's been a year and a half, you know, of not writing things. So I wrote, a a, um, a, um, a disappointed uh, review of Grizzly Two. Let's just put it that way. Um, the, I, I think I, I think I voice why I'm frustrated with it. Not that it's a bad movie because it is, but I, I think we I think what was presented was purposely just shit just to get the money, and I don't like that. But anyway, you can find that on the blog. Uh, there, there's some humor there. I don't know, maybe a little bit. I, um, you know, wherever you find your uh, podcast, rate and review us would be greatly appreciated. If you want to email us directly, that's an evading podcast at gmail.com. And Steve, tell people how to buy all of your your sequels. <laughs> you can buy all of my sequels on uh, Etsy.com under Art of the Slash. You can visit us on uh, slasher.com to uh, see what's going on. And uh, yeah, that's 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 all the places where you can find me. Yeah, but he has book one and book two of the Science Slash say as a sequel. I don't know if it's a sequel, but it is a number two. Um, so anyway, yeah. So that's when you it, say it's a number two, you make it sound like it's shit. I did well. It's you know, I, <laughs> no. I mean, the B- Batman Returns it has some number two in it. Like also, brief brief thing. Like so, this the Penguin pool had like toxic waste in it on the one side, but not the other. Okay, but that water was all mixing together. I, I don't understand it's because supposedly the penguin was dying because he also fell into the, you know, the toxic waste, but he also sent his penguins out to attack the city and they swam through that water. I just, whatever. I don't know. Like, sure. Ma- yeah, sure. Everything, everything makes sense. No, it doesn't. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week. Um, I, uh, before we started recording, I was like, Hey Steve, watch this trailer. And you're like, 
I've never heard of this. And he's like, now I want to watch this. There is a film that just came out on, uh, on streaming. It is a film called PG psycho Gorman. It is, um, watch the trailer people. Like we're, we're going to, it's, it looks like a lot of fun and it looks like a love letter to practical effects, uh, and, and the eighties, but this movie isn't set in the eighties. So, um, it's been described as like a power Rangers movie, like an R rated power Rangers movie that would never get made. And I think that's kind of, I'm kind of on board for this. It looks like a lot of fun. It's available on Amazon for like five bucks to rent or something. Uh, five, six bucks psycho Gorman. That's going to be next week. So I, I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with that conversation. I'm looking forward to it. You had me at Psycho Gorman. Right. Um, I just, he's like, you know, he's like, no, no, no. Uh, Mr. Gorman was my father. Called me Psycho. You know, anyway. So, all right. Uh, yeah. Let's go do it for us this week. Have a good week. Have a safe week. Uh, and I guess uh, don't overthink uh, your big evil plans involving penguins. I, I got I got nothing. It's, and Steve doesn't have anything either. He's like, he's just heartbroken because of Batman. I, don't know. Yeah, I was going to jump in and then I was like, I'll just let Pete, I'll just let Paul go out on that. The-